Weather Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. Today in our feature, Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talks about the impact of updates to federal chemical law. That's coming up later in the program, but first your environmental headlines. According to a story in the Indy Star on June 8th, IPL's Petersburg power plant has violated its permit more than 120 times in the last three years. That's the most of any such facility in Indiana. And now they will have to pay for it. State environmental regulators and IPL are negotiating an agreement that will require the utility to create a plan to keep the Southwest Indiana plant in compliance and also pay a fine of over $78,000. An environmental law group says that's not enough. They say the penalty for what is the state's worst offender, according to EPA's enforcement database, does little to deter future such violations from IPL or other facilities around the state. President Trump's claim that the U.S. has the cleanest air and water in the world has been widely refuted by statistics showing harmful levels of pollution. Now, a new biannual ranking released by researchers at Yale and Columbia finds that the U.S. is nowhere near the top in environmental performance, according to The Guardian. Not only is the U.S. not in the top 10, it's not in the top 20. It ranks 24th in this year's Environmental Performance Index. The top-ranked country, Denmark, has made commitments to a carbon-free future, renewable energy, and sustainable agriculture. By contrast, the U.S., under the Trump administration, has worked at breakneck speed to roll back environmental regulations, expand fossil fuel development, and ditch international treaties protecting the environment. Trump has even questioned climate science and ridiculed its findings. New Jersey has invested in the future health of the planet by making sure the next generation of adults knows how human activity has had a deleterious effect on the planet. The state will be the first in the nation to make the climate crisis part of its curriculum for all students, from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade, as NorthJersey.com reported. The Garden State's Board of Education adopted the standards with the intention of implementing them for the start of school in September 2021. The move drew praise from former Vice President Al Gore, who said in a statement, according to NJA.com, quote, I am incredibly proud that New Jersey is the first state in the nation to fully integrate climate education in their K-12 curricula. This initiative is vitally important to our students as they are the leaders of tomorrow, 
and we will depend on their leadership and knowledge to combat this crisis, end quote. A federal court has rejected the EPA's approval of dicamba, and thus the herbicide is no longer legal for use in the United States. Dicamba, manufactured by Monsanto, which Bayer acquired in 2018, was infamous for its tendency to drift after being sprayed, hurting other crops and wildlife. George Kimbrell, lead counsel for the Center for Food Safety, commented, quote, Today's decision is a massive win for farmers and the environment. It is good to be reminded that corporations like Monsanto and the Trump administration cannot escape the rule of law, end quote. The tendency to drift means that when sprayed on crops genetically engineered to resist it, dicamba moves to other crops that aren't resistant and kills them. Dicamba is thought to have harmed 3.6 million acres of soybeans in 2017 and over 1 million the next year. The court stated that one of the risks of dicamba's use was its causing strife between farmers. Quote, turning farmer against farmer and neighbor against neighbor, end quote. As a result of the argument over dicamba, one farmer shot and killed another in Arkansas in 2016. During his recent trip to Maine, Trump reopened nearly 5,000 square miles off the coast of New England to commercial fishing. The area had been closed during Obama's presidency. Environmentalists warned this decision could further imperil hundreds of endangered species and a protected habitat for the sake of profit. Trump opened the area during a roundtable talk in Maine with commercial fishermen and the state's former governor, Paul LePage. Quote, what reason did Obama have for closing 5,000 miles? That's a lot of miles. 5,000 square miles is a lot. He didn't have a reason, in my opinion. End quote. Trump made the decision without the benefit of expert assessment of fishing in the area. The Northeast Canyons and Seamounts Marine National Monument was established in 2016 by President Obama. The point was to shield endangered species and their ecosystem from harmful intrusion and permanent damage by commercial interests. The area has been fished heavily for decades, but Obama intervened before all the fish were gone. Fishing industry interests challenged former President Obama's designation of the Marine Monument, but were rebuffed in federal court last year. The Gulf of Maine was the basis of the largest fishery in the world for about 200 years. It was particularly known for its cod and halibut. Production peaked on both fish in the late 19th century. Now there are perhaps 1% of the fish that were there in 1850. One of the most cost-effective ways to bring back fisheries is to establish sanctuary areas. Quote, Opening up the nation's only marine national monument in the Atlantic will help no one but a handful of fishers while risking irreparable damage to the marine wildlife that have no other fully protected areas off our eastern seaboard, end quote, said Bob Dreyer, Senior Vice President of Conservation Programs at Defenders of Wildlife. During the roundtable discussion, Trump said, quote, I love that, end quote 
when Interior Secretary David Bernhardt, a former oil and mining lobbyist, informed the president that his proclamation is effectively taking down a no-fishing sign in the Atlantic Ocean. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission is planning to change the way radioactive waste is disposed of. Some human-made nuclear waste, mainly from nuclear power plants, is very long-lasting and hazardous to human health and the environment. Ignoring the hazard, the Commission is proposing to dump this waste in regular trash landfills. To do so, the Commission is proposing to designate the trash landfills as, quote, specific exempt, end quote. Dumping nuclear waste in regular landfills almost guarantees that the waste will leak, thereby contaminating the water, air, crops, and communities with radioactivity. The Commission is claiming that the nuclear waste to be dumped in landfills has a low level of radioactivity, but ignores the fact that there's no safe level of radioactivity, as scientists and physicians have proven time and again. At the supposedly very low level of radioactivity of the nuclear waste to be dumped in landfills, one in every 500 people will develop cancer if exposed over his or her lifetime. The nuclear industry is promoting the use of dumping nuclear waste with regular trash because it has no idea how to dispose of nuclear waste safely. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission is using the COVID-19 pandemic to hide its plan, under which regular trash landfills would accept nuclear waste without alerting the surrounding communities and without public input. Scientists and art historians are studying art for signs of climate change and to better understand the ways Western culture's relationship to nature has been altered by it, according to the BBC. Scientists have used art to help reconstruct historic weather and climatic conditions, such as the behavior of the lower Grindelwald Glacier in the Swiss Alps prior to the invention of photography. Over the last 150 years, artists' depictions of ice have changed greatly. In 1861, Frederick Edwin Church's grand work, The Icebergs, showed humans' fragility in the face of the sublime power of Arctic ice flows. Later pieces of art, on the other hand, are about the ice melting because of what we've done to it, according to Carl Cussero, curator of American art at the Princeton University Art Museum. Quote, there's a 180-degree switch from a world that we have no control over to one in which we are actually controlling the fate of the planet and recognizing that we're not doing a very good job on it, end quote. Another reflection of climate change can be seen in the numerous paintings of ice skating. For example, there is Hendrik Averkamp, a Dutch painter who lived from 1585 to 1634. One painting is Winter Landscape with Ice Skaters. There are also many paintings of ice skating on the Thames in England. Paintings are also useful in discerning other changes in the environment. Franz Snyder, 1579-1667, was a Flemish painter of animals, hunting scenes, and market scenes. The fish market scenes show fish of a size that has been rare for at least 200 years. 
the environmental advocacy organization Beyond Pesticides is suing the ExxonMobil Corporation for false and deceptive advertising that indicates the company is making significant investments in solving the climate crisis. The lawsuit alleges that the company is lying when it tells consumers that it, quote, has invested significantly in the production and the use of clean technology and environmentally beneficial technology, end quote. According to the complaint, the truth is that the vast majority of Exxon's business continues to be in the production and use of petroleum, natural gas, and petrochemicals, including pesticides. The complaint contends that those business activities are significant contributors to the climate crisis and the decline of pollinators and biodiversity, threatening the biological systems that sustain life. Surveys have found that consumers are attracted to products and services based on an environmentally friendly and socially responsible corporate image. Jay Feldman, executive director of Beyond Pesticides, said, quote, Deceiving the public into believing that one of the largest petroleum companies in the world is committed to solving the climate crisis while it continues to devastate the planet is dangerous and inexcusable, end quote. Exxon has invested heavily in its image as an environmentally friendly company with advertising touting its leadership on carbon capture and storage, spending $1.8 billion on that campaign. The complaint states, quote, Since 2000, ExxonMobil's capital expenditures totaled well over $465 billion. Thus, the $9 billion in environmentally beneficial investments touted by ExxonMobil demonstrate that not more than 2% was invested in lower emission solutions, carbon capture and storage technology, biofuels, cogeneration, and more efficient manufacturing processes combined, end quote. Today, only 163 Mexican gray wolves, also called lobos, exist in the wild. By the 1970s, those highly endangered wolves were driven to near extinction by hunting, trapping, and poisoning in their native southwestern U.S. Conservation groups sued the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for its failure to protect the species. A federal district court ordered the service to do more to save the wolves. The service's current plan for the wolves, according to conservation groups, has numerous serious shortcomings. One, it permits increased killing of the wolves. Two, it sets an arbitrary population maximum of only 325 wolves and allows the killing of any wolves beyond that number. Three, it classes the wild population as non-essential to recovery of the species. Conservation groups are demanding that captive wolves be released into the wild because the genetic health of the wolf population is decreasing steadily while inbreeding is increasing. Besides introducing captive pups into wild dens, releasing well-bonded captive adult pairs with pups can immediately improve the genetic health of the species. Conservation groups are also demanding that the wild wolves classification under the Endangered Species Act be changed from non-essential to essential. 
Science and legal requirements of the Endangered Species Act mandate reclassifying lobos as essential, thereby offering them greater protection. President Trump signed an executive order June 4th mandating that federal agencies bypass key environmental reviews of energy and infrastructure projects. Trump said the rule was designed to stimulate the economy in response to the coronavirus pandemic. Critics say the move will disproportionately impact communities of color amidst ongoing national protests following the police murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and many other black Americans. The order instructs agencies to work around the National Environmental Policy Act which gives communities a chance to weigh in on projects that would impact them, as NPR explained. Fossil fuel projects and highways tend to have a greater effect on black and brown communities. Quote, Today, President Trump is dealing another blow to the black community. During a worldwide pandemic and nearly a week into nationwide Black Lives Matter's protests against police brutality and structural racism, end quote, according to House Natural Resources Chairman Raul Grijalva, Democrat of Arizona. And now for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about impacts of updates to federal chemical law. Health groups and environmental groups worry that updates to a federal chemical reporting law could threaten public health and the environment by allowing more companies to produce and import toxic substances without letting the public know. In Indiana alone, the law could lead to the loss of public data on billions of pounds of toxic byproducts each year. And again and again, we find ourselves engaged in an extremely difficult and drawn-out struggle to protect the public from a hazard to which it has already been exposed, while at the same time trying to avoid putting people out of work or out of business. What is needed to cope with problems of this type, and you've heard me say this before, is a law which would authorize EPA to require pre-market testing of chemicals and also to limit uses and distribution of those which are found to pose environmental or health risks. That is Russell Train, the second ever EPA administrator, talking in 1975 about proposed legislation that would pass the next year. The Toxic Substances Control Act, passed in 1976, gives the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency the authority to require reporting record-keeping testing requirements, and restrictions on many chemical substances and mixtures. Changes to the law finalized this month will allow more companies and government entities to be exempt from having to report the chemicals they produce and use in commerce. The many changes to the law include an update to the definition of small manufacturers. It triples the amount companies can report in sales and still claim certain exemptions and a reporting exemption for some potentially toxic byproducts if they are remanufactured, reprocessed, or reused. Before the changes, a company could claim a reporting exemption if its total annual sales, including that of its parent company, amounted to less than $40 million. That company would then be exempt from reporting on chemicals produced or imported at volumes less than 100,000 pounds per year. 
A company would not be required to report at all if it and its parent company made less than $4 million in annual sales, regardless of the amount of chemicals produced or imported yearly. Now, companies have a cap of $120 million for the limited exemption and $12 million for full exemption. The update also removes the reporting requirements for some government entities that fall under TISCA jurisdiction. A city, town, township, village, school district, or special district with a population of less than $50,000 will be exempt from reporting. The EPA said the changes reduce burdens for industry and allow accurate chemical data reporting to continue. The updated definition was supported by trade associations representing industries in Indiana and nationwide, like the North American Metals Council, which represents the mining and refining sectors of the metal industry, the American Iron and Steel Institute, which represents several companies with facilities in Indiana, the Society of Chemical Manufacturers, and IPC, which represents electronics parts manufacturers. A coalition of health and environmental advocacy groups known as Safer Chemicals Healthy Families said the new changes to the law would reduce the accuracy of chemical data reporting, which helps communities and vulnerable populations understand potential risks and exposures they may face. The group said the chemical data reports can help groups and individuals identify production and importation facilities in their locales, the chemicals produced or stored at these facilities, and their volumes the type of production process employed, the number of workers at each facility, and the nature of the chemicals uses. The groups wrote that in at-risk communities exposed to multiple sources of chemicals, this information is particularly important in pinpointing facilities that are contributing to aggregate risk and assessing the overall magnitude of their impacts. The group also said that other EPA databases for chemicals like the Toxics Release Inventory cover a much smaller universe of substances and lack the breadth of information in CDR reports and thus have less utility to at-risk communities. The exemptions will add to the nationwide hole in chemical substance reporting. Right now, more than 19,000 substances are fully exempt from reports and 723 are partially exempt. Companies do not have to track how much of these substances they produce or import. The EPA expects the definition change to eliminate chemical data reporting entirely for 127 industry sites nationwide and reduce reporting for at least one chemical for 173 industry sites. Another update to the Tesco rule will allow companies to be exempt from reporting the chemical substances they produce, including byproducts like coal ash, if it's remanufactured, reprocessed, or reused, a major boon for utilities with coal-fired power plants along with cement and steel producers. Before the update, those industries were required to report the amount of byproducts like coal ash, cement kiln dust, and steel slag they produced every year. Coal ash is a toxic waste created by burning coal to create electricity. It can contain mercury, lead, arsenic, and many other metals and elements that could cause cancer, lung, and heart problems, or even death. Steel slag is a byproduct of the steel-making process and contains toxic elements like antimony, beryllium, and hexavalent chromium, which can cause certain types of cancer. Cement kiln dust is produced during the cement manufacturing process. The dust can damage the respiratory tract and could cause cancer. Those byproducts can be repurposed into other products like concrete, wallboard, and other roofing materials, structural fill, and other construction aggregates. The finalized updates to the Tesco law could allow the public to lose track of trillions of pounds of the byproducts. 
As of the last chemical data report in 2016, Northern Indiana Public Service Company's Schaefer Generating Station in Merrillville produced at least 10 billion pounds of coal ash annually in the form of slime, sludges, and flue gas desulfurization, and at least 70 billion pounds of coal ash in dust forms. NIPSCO also reported another 70 billion pounds of coal ash in dust form from its Michigan City Generating Station and 1 billion pounds of coal ash in slag form. Similar amounts of coal ash at individual facilities were reported by the Ohio Valley Electric Corporation, Duke Energy, Indianapolis Power and Light, and Vetra Corporation. Cement production facilities in Indiana reported producing billions of pounds of cement kiln dust made of different compositions. The Buzzy Unisem USA cement plant in Greencastle last reported producing at least 20 billion pounds of cement kiln dust. The Lehigh Hansen facility in Mitchell reported producing about 130 billion pounds of cement kiln dust of different types. Similarly, steel production facilities around the state produce billions of pounds of waste. Indiana produces about a quarter of the nation's steel, resulting in massive amounts of slag production. U.S. Steel's Gary Works in Gary reported producing about 30 billion pounds of slag in the latest Tisca data. Facilities around the state reported producing between 10 and 30 billion pounds of slag at each facility. It's not clear how many facilities will be allowed exemptions in Indiana due to annual sales or production, or how COVID-19 difficulties will factor into the next reporting period. That begins June 1st. For Eco Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co-op groceries since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. Explore the quieter side of Monroe Lake during a guided paddling trip that journeys through backwaters, wetlands, bays, and slow-moving streams on Sunday, June 14th at 7 p.m. Bring your own kayak or canoe to the Pine Grove State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake, or you may rent one. Paddling experience is required. Register at bit.ly slash explore 61420 by today. Enjoy stargazing during the Looter Lounge at the Payne Town State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Wednesday, June 17th from 5.45 to 7.45 p.m. Meet at the campground area to talk with the naturalist, who will share information 
for moon and stargazing after the sky goes dark. Be sure to social distance. And that wraps up our show for this week. The Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report.